Hello and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. Not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our May 11th edition of Monday Night Football. We always start off our show with a prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Today, we want to lift up the Jorge Martinez family. Uh, died yesterday, and uh, pray that everybody in the family be comforted, and that um, he'd be able to feel our love and support up there, and that he pray for us down here, pray for his family and his friends and loved ones to be able to uh, be comforted at this time and get the comfort that they need from the Holy Spirit and from us as well. Help them to know that they're in our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, for those of you who don't think that uh, we're in a crisis, uh, that, that's proof that we are still, okay? Um, anyhow, um, I wanna, uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, if you ever seen Montagua Juniors, that blue team with the Pepsi logo on their shirts, that's one of their uh, uh, main coaches and directors. And uh, we wish the club well, wish uh, everybody well. And um, anyhow, uh, another reminder that really life is precious. So we get moments at a time. We get so many minutes, you know. Uh, we're not guaranteed any minutes, and so we need to take advantage of every one of them that we have, uh, not for selfish purposes, but to serve. Oh, man. Anyway, um, tonight's show is going to be a good one. Uh, it's going to be more on the light side, but not totally light. Uh, uh, we're going to be checking in across the pond with England. I have a really good soccer friend of mine named Andy uh, that uh, I check in from time to time just to see what the soccer climate is there in England from uh, from the outside looking in. He's an avid fan, youth player, um, not in London, in the... Uh, not in London, but you know, in the countryside, and uh, and he roots for teams you've probably never heard of before, and uh, uh, kind of like uh, the baby cakes to an American. Okay, how many people outside of Louisiana know who the baby cakes are? Who came up with that name? Anyway, uh, we're gonna listen to what he has to say about what COVID's doing there, and really what the state of the game is is happening over there. Monday Night Football. We'll see you after the break. All right, everybody, welcome back to Monday Night Football. And uh, we're joined across the pond with one of my friends, uh, Andy Douglas. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Alan. How you doing, mate? Okay, pretty good. And uh, as much as we can with this with this virus. I was calling you so you can give everybody over here just a taste of uh, how everything in England football-wise is going. Like, uh, are people depressed because they're not watching the games or um, and, and things of that nature? What's the attitude, especially with UEFA uh, really not being in full force right now? Well, people are depressed about it, Alan. Um, obviously, there's a situation there that we have to get to the bottom of this virus before we can, if you like, participate uh, and finish the season off but it's in doubt to be quite honest whether that will happen um, maybe the, the premiership will finish it could be July, August before that's done but of course safe 
Loki will have to come first. Okay, but the, aren't they afraid that, okay, you're going to finish in August and then start in September? I mean, isn't that kind of crazy? It does sound crazy, but this is what they're proposing. Um, and then going straight into the new season. Um, around the world, as you know, all the players are trying to keep fit. You know, doing their own training sessions from day to day. Some of them, I think, have been going into their own training grounds, but obviously keeping social distancing uh, to the maximum they can. But it's very worrying. I think some of the Premiership players are worried about participating and having body contact, as you said on your programme last week um, over there. So it is worrying for players to have to start playing when this virus, if, if you like, like is so prominent out there. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way you can socially distance playing football. And it's just no way. I mean, you're going to have to be able to pick up the ball unless you have kick-ins, you know, which uh, to replace throw-ins. But then still the goalies have to handle the ball, and uh, and the ball's going to hit your face sooner or later unless they would make, uh, you know, balls played in the air illegal, which in training we, we can do that. But in real football, that's not an option. It's part of the skill of the game, you know. And, uh, uh, you just can't do that, Alan, can you? No, I mean, you can't change the rules of the game to suit the virus, if you like. Um, safety must come first. Well, in youth soccer here, we made heading illegal, which is going to bite our national team. Probably by now it should be biting our national team because kids now, instead of going up for headers, they, they, they choose their chest or their thigh uh, and wait for the ball to come down, which is suicide if you want to really win the possession game. Uh, but uh, I have seen it possible, though the kids never use their heads, and they're scared to death. When they come to me when they're older, they're scared to death of using their heads because they feel like they're going to die if they use their heads, you know? And Because uh, they've been screamed at, don't use your heads for the last 10 years. And y'all don't have a rule like that in youth soccer, do you think, in England? They're thinking of uh, implementing it, Alan. Okay. Uh, in the next, I think, couple of years. But it's very worrying because the rules of the game have got to change, maybe, if you're not going to head the ball. And one yeah. of the serious problems over here at the moment is with dementia and Alzheimer's. A lot of players from the past, unfortunately, have got this. So they're looking to see what they can do to protect the players. But if you head the ball... It's like being in the boxing ring. You will take some stick. Yeah, yeah, you will. I mean, you can't do a corner kick without it. And so uh, in American football, you know, we've, we've learned through autopsies that a lot of our great players uh, had this, uh, I think it's called C, I don't know exactly what it's called, concussion, some concussion syndrome. Uh, are they saying that uh, players have dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like that in England because of football? they're doing a lot of studies on it now have been for the, the last two or three years and the opinion is yes um, excessive heading of the ball has basically um, cost their players if you like or former players their memories um, obviously early days but they're getting to the bottom of it and obviously you've got to weigh up the pros and cons whether you participate in the future in with heading the ball I sometimes think that life is a chance anyway. Uh, some players will get it, some players won't. Uh, yeah. It's obviously an extremely um, 
high price to pay for something that you enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, evidence, the evidence is there that players from the 60s, 70s and 80s are suffering now with dementia. Oh boy, I tell you what, that'll change. It'll change the game. I don't think it'll kill the game, but it'll change it significantly. I've seen it with our youth soccer. You know, I don't think you could play a ball long. Uh, we we forced the kids at youth level that they have to play from the back and they have to make a short pass, and and uh, and so that's not a bad way to play the game. But um, but at the highest level, I mean, ball clearances are are, are part of the game. You know. It would change every way everybody tactically approaches the game defensively. That's for sure, you know. Um, do you think that the youth... What age... Go ahead. Carry on. No, go ahead. What age over there are you allowed to head the ball at youth level then, Alan? What age do you have to be? 13. 13. So how did they come to uh, 13 years old to say you can head the ball, but then you're 12? They're saying you're developed enough most probably won't do you too much harm is that the scenario they're looking at i wish i could give you the official answer but i i kind of look at it like what's the difference between a 12 and a 13 year old why is there a magical switch uh that allows you to head the ball later if it's bad to head the ball then it's bad to head the ball you know if it's good to head the ball at the 15 year old game then you should be heading the ball when you're younger um that's what i feel because i don't think your brain is developed until you're 21 uh but i'm not a doctor and i have no hard science to back that up I mean, I, I do know an ex-professional, which I won't name, um, for obvious reasons. He's suffering with memory loss now, and in his position, he did head the ball an awful lot. But obviously, for obviously for him, I won't say who it is. But it's it's very worrying what he told me. Okay, okay. If you can remember any of his youth soccer at all, anyhow. Um, did you short term memory's gone that's why he was saying that he basically he can remember things from years ago happening but he can't remember what he'd done yesterday um, and he's being diagnosed with this problem uh, because of heading the ball and they're sure of it they're 99% sure yes Okay. and I can sort of like honestly say that yeah yeah, well, but obviously the study's still going on at the moment. Yeah, and they will know obviously a lot more maybe in two, three, four years' time. Well, I'll tell you, uh, American football had to change a little bit with having more expense. Like the helmets now are like four or five hundred dollars, and I, I still don't see that they they're going to prevent concussions. Um, but America without football would be just. It would be unthinkable here. The only thing keeping people motivated is that the NFL put out their schedule this week, and it's got everybody fantasizing that we're going to have football in a couple of months, which that remains to be seen, you know. So when it comes to soccer, I don't know if the diehards in Europe are going to want to have soccer without heading. It It's it'd be a different game. I don't think they'll accept it, Alan. No, I don't think I will. And as you know, I'm quite, you know, quite critical of the game anyway, you know, how it's gone, especially with the money. But I don't think our general fans will actually take to a game where you can't head the ball, no. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you'll find that these stadiums will empty pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so. 
know, and when it comes to where you're at, um, um, youth soccer, like, do you see any activity with young children playing now? Are they encouraged to stay at home, or are they breaking the rules and pick, having pickup games? Uh, what have what has been your experience out there? Well, I've got uh, close neighbours to me uh, with players at youth level, and none of them are training at the moment. And that's just around here. Obviously, I don't know the other parts of the country, but I very much doubt it. And one or two are just uh, kicking the ball around in their gardens. So that's how they're keeping fit, if you like, and keeping their eye in. Just kick the ball around with their dads or, or their brothers and sisters, and that's how they're getting by. Yeah, and uh, one thing that is obvious to most people in soccer is like you can't be like game fit doing that. And there, there's fitness, and then there's fitness for the game, and there's no way you can replicate that. Uh, I don't think. And uh, and so I think that's the reason why like youth soccer here in Louisiana, we just we just t- said it was over, and we're going to focus on 2021's uh, tryouts, which will be in a month. If we can pull that off, I don't know if we can pull that off. You know, you heard on the broadcast last week. There's all these um, criteria of how we're going to implement the game again. Do you hear that if any criteria being implemented there? Like, do you have a phased reopening going on in England right now? Well, they're trying. They're looking at the, the professional game in in July now, and maybe even June. I've heard the Germans are going to start, I think, later this month, uh, trying to, you know, finish the Bundesliga. But July looks like it may may start here. Whether it goes down to youth level, I don't know, because obviously children come down for a different criteria then. Uh, they must be protected. Um, they won't go back to school here, I don't think, until middle of June at the earliest, Alan, what they're saying. So I don't think football will start at least until July. Okay. And uh, are they talking about empty stadiums? They are talking about empty stadiums, but I don't think people are going to actually accept that either. Um, Yes, it's the second best thing you can have if you want to see the season finished, but I don't think, again, fans will want to watch a game with no people there. Okay. Not at top level anyway. Okay. You think there'll be riots to want to go in and watch the games? <laughs> well, I, I sincerely hope not. But um, <laughs> we don't want to go uh, we don't want to go back to our ugly past, if you like. Um, it still goes on sometimes, but um, you know, let's let's hope people um, are sensible and don't want to do that. But certainly, you know, one or two might want to try and get in. Okay. Well, since I got you on the show, before we conclude, uh, um, any reflections on on the British developmental system? Like, do, do all of you in, in the country, are you satisfied with the FA? Or uh, what is your main beef with the FA right now and how they develop in their players? Well, me personally, I, I try to look at it fairly because I can be, you know, unbiased about all this. I'm a fan rather than connected to any club. I think they're doing the right things uh, at the, the very top. But there's an awful lot of players that don't make it, as you know, in every single country around the world. And then players seem to get discarded very quickly. 
and it all comes again down to the money, doesn't it? Yeah. If you've got the money, if you've got the best player and you can afford them, they don't mind how many people fail as long as they get one or two players coming through. And that's, to be honest, how I think about it. Okay, well, I thought, you know, I look at it from an American point of view that a, a poor kid's got a better chance in England than he does here in America. I mean, I, do you think that's the case, or have y'all fallen so much that now money is dictating youth development? Well, money is dictating youth development. As, if you like, the documentary that I sent you the yeah. other week, uh, which is quite frightening, to be honest with you, especially if you want to look at morals and principles. Hey, would you? Players, obviously. I was going to say, would you mind if I would post that on our Facebook page? What I sent you about the documentary? No, obviously, yeah. Okay. I think it's interesting to see what's going on in certain countries. Now, youth level, if you like. I mean, at youth level for England, people have done a lot better than they have done in previous years. But we've still got a long way to go, I think compared with some of the other nations consistently. Who do y'all think in England is doing it right in Europe? As far as club side goes or Well 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 um developing players uh, to the top level. I think they're all doing it in in the right way. I mean if you if you take the, the big three or four clubs in, in Britain, Liverpool, Manchester United your Arsenal's, your Tottenham's, your Chelsea's. I mean, they've got the best facilities going. They've had players come through. But it's about patience. Whether they give these players a chance is up for debate. You know, they need success straight away. So some of these players don't ever get the chance to participate in the first team. One or two do, but a lot of the players end up going maybe a league or two low or to what we call the lower tier premiership sites. But I do honestly think, yes, it's got a lot better. But again, it has a lot of improvement still to be done. Uh, is, is there any scholastic soccer uh, where you're at in East Anglia? Can you say that again, Adam, please? Is there any, is there any like, scholastic, like your, your prep schools, okay, do they have teams and play against each other? Yeah, they they all like play against each other. Even when I was at school, we used to play against the local teams. You, your furthest team would be probably thirty miles away. Um, so yeah, we've always had that. And in, when I was at school, um, they basically wanted you to play for your school first. So if you were fifteen, sixteen years old, and you were coming to leave school which most did at 16 in the late 70s, early 80s, they still wanted you to represent the school side. And if you were playing in a men's side locally, that should come second as far as they were concerned. But it, yeah, they are playing. They're still playing the way they, they were 30, 40 years ago. Okay, so if you were a, a, a kid identified because of your bankroll when you were six as a, as a potential Chelsea player... Uh, could that kid, at when he gets to be 14, go play for his school, or would Chelsea put handcuffs on him and force him to just uh, train with their system? They probably would now. But if he's that good, 
they will wrap them up in cotton wool so they don't want them participating <laughs> with other teams. Yeah, well, I kind of agree with the documentary, though. How can you how can you brand a kid? I mean, Messi, I guess, is an exception. I've seen video of him when he was a child. But most kids, you know, we don't know how they're going to develop uh, when they're six into, into stars or just average players. Uh, I think to pigeonhole them is, is kind of a sad thing. Well, it's morally unacceptable, as I've said, to have a, a kid at six. Um, going to a top premiership side because they're that good I wouldn't want um, you know any of my friends families to have to go through that six seven years old it's, it's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned but I could be wrong yeah, and uh, I was always under the impression uh, before I saw that video that that still the big clubs will sign a player, but it won't have anything to do with money, okay? Uh, it's everything to do with talent, and they'll put you under contract. And then, you know, uh, so in other words, you get paid to play as opposed to paying to play. Uh, when do you think this mentality came across in England where now people are paying to play? Probably in the, in the last 20 years, it's taken a process of time to get it where it is today. A lot of things used to go on in the 70s and 80s, if you like, um, with money that none of us ever knew about. But today, it's all about money. It's, it's all about money in every single sport, Alan, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what you're in. Money is the thing that talks everywhere in the world. And it certainly is in youth football at the moment over here. Okay, so so now if you're if you're a ten year old kid to play for your club, you need to you need to pay to play, correct? Well, you get you get sponsors. You you won't you won't have to won't have to pay as such with the big clubs. The big clubs will basically see that you're okay. They'll just want the parents to bring them along to training sessions whenever they can when school finishes maybe straight in the car to wherever they're going for whatever clubs or they go for two or three days in the holidays. You, you don't end up having to pay to play to that point. No, they ask, they ask in certain academies for, for a lower down spectrum, can you put, you know, you have to have so much money available for your kid to go through that academy. That's going on, but it's not like that in every single academy as far as I know. Okay, and for other sports that the English play, uh, is m money is taking it over too? For the youth? It, it definitely is. I mean, rugby, it, uh, it's certainly getting there as well. But obviously at the moment, it's worrying time for every, every sport out there. Cricket, not quite so much, but it's definitely there. If you like, football holds the candle of light to everyone. That's where the bulk of the money is and it always will be as far as I can see um, apart from that not too much has changed only in the three or four sports that if you like are the favourite sports of the nation but it's definitely catching up in other sports but I don't think it'll get to the level of football no okay curious question before we hang up the NFL's really been trying to push itself onto England. Are the English buying it or not? They definitely look at it. 
it's not a sport that obviously that's played by the masses over here, but it's definitely looked at as a spectacle on the television that everyone sits down and watches. If, you, if you're paying, paying to actually see that, yeah, it, it's looked at. Oh, so you it just it, you have to pay to watch it? No, not not always. It just it depends what it is, doesn't it? If you're, as some of them have been at Wembley, haven't they? Yes. So, if you subscribe to Sky or BT, for instance, then you're gonna you're gonna see it. Okay. But oh. to ordinary terrestrial television, no, you're not gonna see it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I was just I was just curious because the impression the NFL gives here is that the stadium is packed and the country is engaged and they're ready for their own team. I, we see that coming that London's going to have a team one day, and uh, you think you think that would uh, fill a stadium consistently? I'm not so sure because I think you have to have a process of 30, 40 years that you play the game and you understand the game as you do over there, because a lot of people don't understand the game as they, sh as they should do. So I think it takes a process of you, if it has to be in your blood for 30, 40 years before you can see the, the end product, if you like. Okay, gotcha. Well, any last words to us here in the States before you hang up? Well, all I'm going to say to you, Alan, it's been great to speak to you, mate, and I just hope everyone is safe in America. And... Um, just be vigilant out there, and we've all got to be patient, haven't we? Yes, sir. And uh, we wish you all the best, too, and I appreciate you taking your time to come to the show and to talk. And, uh, and we'll, of course, you and I will stay in touch, and, uh, and I wish you all the best. Okay, everybody, I'm sorry for the poor audio quality, but that was the best we could do. Uh, well, my engineer is in another town, and so anyhow, uh, I, I think the the content is more important than the quality in that regard because it's uh, really important to hear what they were saying in, in England. Look, I'm going to have a link. Uh, I want to get permission from uh, the media source to be able to place it, but I'm going to have the link, uh, hopefully – on um, either have the link or explanation why I don't have the link to that amazing interview that we were talking about uh, in regards to youth soccer in England. And I think it's very much worth listening to, um, to everybody over here. Um, and uh, I think it's something to reflect on too. Well, that's going to do it for our show. I wish the best for all of you and for your families. Uh, let's continue to stay safe and let's see what happens this week. If we're going to get phase two started or phase one continuing, uh, phase two gets started. I can't wait to get out the ball and, and start kicking it around. Anyhow, uh, with social distancing, of course. All right. This is coach DeRitter wishing you carpe diem in Christ. God bless you and your family. Take care.